0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before giving my regular homily, speaking on the epistle reading from this morning, I wanted to say a few words to address the community after what was obviously a historic event in our country with the overturning of uh, Roe versus Wade. And a lot of Christians, a lot of people are talking about this, and it's a divisive issue of course in our society. I think it's important to understand before I I say what I'm about to say that again I don't make political statements in the church from the pulpit or really for that matter anywhere in the church building and the same will hold true this morning. I'm not going to speak about anyone's politics or anything like that but simply about what the church teaches us and how we can talk about this issue and how I can talk about this issue in the way that I have to deal with it, which is not from a legal or political perspective, but from a pastoral perspective. So there's three things that I want to highlight. The first is that it's unmistakable, brothers and sisters, that our church teaches that a woman having abortion, unless it is for the purpose of saving her own life, when you have a situation like an ectopic pregnancy or other you know, very rare situations like that, but things that do come up. That we view abortion as being a sin. Okay, so our church, there's no way that we can, that as a priest, outside of, again, saving a mother's life, that we can bless that a woman would have an abortion or that we would say that it's okay. It's considered to be a sin. And that's very clear. That's why I don't speak about it a lot, because I think everyone in our church knows that. There's all sorts of information about it online, the Assembly of Bishops. In fact, I plan to send out this week some statements that they've made recently on this topic, not just about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but also a much more comprehensive um, understanding and approach to how Orthodox should view human life. Something I want the parish to see. So it's it's crystal clear. There's no argument about that from the perspective of our church. The second thing that I want to say is that abortions do happen, obviously. And there are women who are Orthodox Christians who have had them. And when that happens, we deal with them in a pastoral manner. And it's one thing for us to, you know, it's easy for us to condemn abortion and to say it's a sin, but often we don't understand the situation that women are in that sometimes leads to an abortion. Now, sometimes, obviously, when we make this decision, they could make it potentially for uh, purely selfish reasons. But I've dealt with situations not just here in our parish, but remember, I was a priest for several years. I was on the East Coast finishing up seminary. I traveled to a lot of different churches and filled in. One thing I learned the hard way, Bishop Basil told me to stop hearing confessions, is that sometimes people come to you when you're a visiting priest and they want to say something that they don't want to say to their parish priest. So I started telling them, "I'm not hearing confessions while I'm here," at the advice of His Grace Bishop Basil. But in, in any case, you know there are there have things that happen in women's lives. I've heard of a woman whose career was going to be ruined if she didn't have an abortion by the man who impregnated her and he had the power over her to be able to do that and to ruin her life. I've heard of situations where women were under the threat of violence and so forth and that's why they did So there's all sorts of reasons why this happens. It was a, a huge issue in, in uh, Soviet Union under communism where the situation was very bad and so there are a lot of Women that came from Soviet countries that had abortions for various reasons over there. So we have to deal with this in a, as priests and as Christians in a sensitive pastoral manner. And understand that just like with anything that we call a sin, and just as we confess all of us to be sinners, and we will say here in a little bit, and we should mean it. We shouldn't be looking around and thinking, well, you know, this person is a greater sinner or not. We say, I'm the chief among sinners before we come to Holy Communion. And so today, if we say that prayer and we don't really believe it, and at any time if we say that prayer and yet we're judging, standing in judgment of someone else, then refrain from coming to Communion that week until you can talk to me and we can work through some of these issues and that you can start to view yourself as being the chief among sinners and not being judgmental of others, because that's a big problem, a great, sin and it's something that I talk about regularly because it's what Jesus talked about so regularly in his ministry about this self-righteousness and about being judgmental of others. So just like as with any other sin, there is the possibility of redemption, the possibility of salvation. And it's important for us to be here as the church community in these situations if it were ever to happen that a woman in our community has had or does have an abortion. It's important for us to be the church, which is, as we say, a spiritual hospital. The third thing that I want to mention as it relates to this situation right now is that we Christians need to understand that ultimately our goal is not to change laws. Our goal is to change people's hearts and their minds. That's ultimately what we try to do as Christians. And so, me personally, I cannot look at this situation and proclaim any sort of victory in the striking down of Roe v. Wade, but rather what we need to understand is that there are still women who feel the need sometimes to have an abortion and we have to change hearts and minds. And not just their hearts and their minds, but we have to change our hearts and our minds. We have to change the hearts and minds of our children and of our grandchildren and our godchildren so that no woman would ever feel like that was the best option for her. And this begins, brothers and sisters, in our homes. It begins by teaching our children about the gift of sexuality that God has given us and blessed us to use within the context of holy matrimony, the sacrament of marriage, and using it appropriately. And understanding that sometimes, many times, people fall short of that. And yet we're here for them, again, to help them get back up. You know, one of the famous sayings of a monk, what do you do at the monastery? He says, we fall down and we get back up. We fall down and we get back up. And that's the life of us as Christians. We make mistakes, but we help one another back up, and we continue along the path of righteousness. It begins for us, especially those of us who are fathers and grandfathers and godfathers of teaching our men how to behave appropriately towards women so that we would treat them the way that we're supposed to be treated, the way that God gave Eve to Adam to be a helper as someone who was equal to him, as someone who was honored and cherished by him that we would treat women as we're told by St. Paul in the epistle reading that we hear at that sacrament service of marriage, that we would treat the woman as Christ treats the church. And we also must step up, brothers and sisters, recognizing that we live in a fallen world and not everybody will live up to these ideals that we preach, and we must understand that there are things that we can do as a society. There are perhaps public policies that we can support or promote. There are organizations like our very own, started by Orthodox Christians soon to celebrate its 20th anniversary, The Treehouse, right here in Wichita, Kansas. The entire purpose of starting The Treehouse was a way to be pro-life, putting it into action, not just in words but to help people who make the choice to have children who cannot afford all of the needs that they have, like diapers, very expensive, any of you who have children know about that, formula that is needed, clothing that is needed, and not just the physical needs, but also to teach mothers, mothers who didn't have good examples, who didn't have good mothers or fathers in their homes, or who just made mistakes along the way and didn't learn from them, to train them how to be a better parent, and to be there for them to meet their spiritual needs when they arise and they feel comfortable sharing those with us. There are all sorts of things that we can do, and people in our community have done that. We have people in our community who have stepped up to be foster parents for children who struggle. We have people in our community who have chosen the gift of adoption, which is something that if we're going to be pro-life, if we have a strong family, a strong marriage, is something that each and every one of us should highly consider if we wish to be, consider ourselves to be pro-life. So brothers and sisters, there is still much that we Christians have to do if we are to be truly pro-life. There is still much we have to do because ultimately we have to change the hearts and the minds of this world. And that's how Christianity succeeded. A lot of people would point to Constantine and say, it was when he legalized Christianity that Christianity grew and flourished. And certainly, to an extent, that is true. But taking a step back, why? Why did it grow and flourish? It's because the Christians, and most especially the martyrs, they changed the hearts and the minds of people in their societies, and they changed the hearts and minds so much so that even today, even today, brothers and sisters, there are people who consider themselves to be atheists, who if you examine what they actually believe, if you examine their ethics, it comes not from ancient Rome, not from other religions or other societies, but it comes uniquely from Judeo-Christian principles. Principles that are taught uniquely in Scripture, like care for the needy, taking care of those who are weak, respecting them rather than discarding them and viewing them as lower. This is the situation because Christians ultimately change the hearts and the minds of those around them. I was going to say more, but I think I've said enough for today other than to say that in our epistle reading, we hear that all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Paul in his epistle to the Romans was making the argument that in the end, brothers and sisters, As he says, according to his gospel, we will be judged based upon the way that we lived our lives. That is to say, when we go to the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to ask for your baptism certificate to see if you're an Orthodox Christian, or if you're a Christian, or you're a Jew, or you're an atheist, or you're Hindu, or whatever it may be. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will stand there and be judged based upon how we lived our lives. If we, as we Orthodox Christians do know the way that God wants us to live and we don't, we're in big trouble. But there are others among Orthodox Christians who are good examples for us and also there are some who are not in our midst who are good examples for us and what Paul is saying is that in the end, even though they didn't have the law, may not have known the law, may not even have known the reasons why they were doing what they were doing, as long as they did it, as long as they did God, God's will, then they will pass through His judgment and also enter into His glory. So, brothers and sisters, it's not enough for us to just speak the words of God. It's not the hearers, as Paul said, nor the speakers of the law who are justified in the sight of God, but those who do God's will. So let us go forth, brothers and sisters, doing God's will, changing the hearts and minds of the people around us in our society. To Him be all glory, honor, and worship forever and ever, amen.